So good to see you all with us this morning. Ken, nice to have you with us. Ken was one of the founding members of Harvest, um, and he sowed such a tremendous amount into to Gail and my life. And also nice to see Terence as well. Welcome, Terence. Would you like to turn to John chapter 13? I'm preaching on service this morning, and so I'd like to, to anchor my my sermon, John chapter 13, but I will be using quite a few other passages as well. So let's start reading at John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do you realize now what I'm doing? Sorry, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord Simon, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not every one was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So folks, we've been doing a series, the Big Five series, on the five things that we want to be known for as a church the values that we would like to shape the way we do things and the way we are here on Sunday morning, but also as individuals going out into the world. I wonder if anyone can remember the five. First one? Jesus. Jesus. That's right. Second? Hmm? Love. Third one, family. Fourth one? Hmm? Vibrancy. That's right. That was Nicola last week. Um, you may notice that I can't lift this finger after that one. And then the fourth one is service. That's what we're going to be doing today. And I think when I look around um, at the people that I, that, that I fellowship with, I think we come from a socioeconomic group and a culture that doesn't really value service that much. We would rather employ people to do menial tasks so that we can be set free to have more leisure time. Um, we also would like rather to be set free to do things that are going to benefit us more 
than doing menial tasks. And in addition to this, uh, I think Zimbabweans generally across the board attach a lot of importance to what they do. And they think that certain things are beneath them. To give you an example of this, I went to a construction site many years ago when I was uh, working as a civil engineer, and I wanted to take some measurements on the site with a theodolite. I'd gone to site with, with a surveyor who worked with us, and so I asked the surveyor if he would go and hold his staff on one of the reference pegs on the site, and he said he, he, he refused to do it. So I said, why? Why won't you hold the staff? He said, no, that's not my job. I'm a surveyor. So the implication being I need to be behind the instrument. Uh, holding the staff is beneath me. And so I said, oh, that's no problem. You, you, you measure from the instrument, and I'll go and hold the staff. But that's something that's part of our makeup. Um, even if it's deep-seated, we tend to think that certain things, certain jobs, certain tasks are beneath us. And if we go beyond Zimbabwe, we'll see that bloggers and authors and social commentators are all talking about narcissism and entitlement. Narcissism is that overinflated view of your own importance. And it's, it's, part of, it's part of, especially a part of the Western world, this idea of entitlement, the idea that I am entitled to certain rights and privileges uh, more so than other people around me. It's there. And it would seem from, from the research that I've done on today's uh, passage that things haven't changed too much since the time of Jesus. It seems to be a human condition. Um, the Greeks influenced the culture hugely at the time of Christ, and they considered service undignified. They believed that they were born to rule and not to serve. And a Greek would only serve if it promoted his own individual development. So the idea of self-sacrificial service didn't find much place in Greek culture. And folks, I think we can relate to this. So why, why would we want to value service as a church? Why would we want to be known as a church that values service? I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. Reason number one is that Jesus came to serve. And let's see what he himself said about this. Jesus had decided to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to set the scene a little bit here. Um, don't worry, guys, I'll be changing the slides. Um, on, his, on his way up to Jerusalem, and there were a group of people following him. Some of them were his disciples, the twelve, but the others weren't specifically chosen by him as part of the twelve, but they were tagging along and accompanying him. And the disciples were astonished that Jesus had chosen to go to Jerusalem, but the other group was afraid. And I'm guessing, and you'll see why shortly, that the disciples were astonished rather than afraid because although they knew that it was going to be dangerous to go up to Jerusalem, they'd come to a place where they believed that Jesus was capable of overthrowing, overcoming resistance and establishing himself as king over Israel. They were just astonished that he would be choosing to do it at this time because he didn't seem to have raised too much support. He didn't have an army at his back. Then we're told in the next verse that again Jesus took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. 
We're going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles um, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. So let's read on. At that point, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. In other words, in your kingdom, we want to take positions of authority. We want to be your left and right hand men. Now you can see why the disciples weren't afraid. James and John were so convinced that Jesus was capable of overthrowing the Romans, they simply wondered how he was going to do it. That was where the astonishment came in that they decided to start juggling and positioning themselves so that they could be in positions of power in the new kingdom. And we'll come back to James and John's conversation with Jesus, but let's just jump forward to verse 42. Jesus called them all together because the other disciples got to hear about what James and John had done, and they were indignant. And he said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's the way of the world, isn't it? Then he says, Not so with you. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. He's saying, Not so with you. There is nothing that's beneath you. Not so with you. Instead, now he's contrasting, whoever wants to become great among you, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. This is the way things are set up in God's kingdom. If anyone wants to become great among you, he must be the servant of everybody else. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Why? Now he starts to explain why. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Dear brothers and sisters, the reason why we serve is because we follow Jesus' example. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then let's move on to some more evidence. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. This is what Paul writes. That Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He was the same as God. He was equal to God. He had the rights of God. But instead of holding on to those for his own advantage, he rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He's made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Folks, I don't think that the Bible could be any clearer than that. Jesus has claimed it. Paul has reinforced it that Jesus came to serve. And if we are following Christ's example, we also need to serve. So that's point number one. Reason number two why we want to value service in this church is because we are Jesus' servants. Now, you remember the Last Supper? Um, We just read about it. Uh, just before uh, Jesus has this meal with his disciples just before he's arrested and tortured 
And so the meal has been prepared, as we read just now in, in Matthew, the meal's been, uh, John, meal's been prepared, laid out on the table, and people are starting to recline around the table, Jesus and his 12 disciples. And so if I was lying at the table, I'd be reclining with my feet there, my head here, presumably. <laughs> um, and my head would be next to the feet of the person on my right, and my feet would be next to the person on my left. In other words, feet in close proximity to noses. Um, the guys have spent the whole day walking on dusty roads, wearing sandals. But this is a very awkward moment because normally whoever was hosting the meal would have either done it themselves or they would have provided a slave to do it to go and wash the feet. But nobody wants to do it because all the disciples think that it is beneath them to wash everyone else's feet. And Jesus has just been talking to them <laughs> about how if you want to be first in the kingdom of God, you need to be last. Because they've just had that altercation where the sons of Zebedee have said, we want to be on your left and on your right. They still haven't got it. They still haven't got it. And then Jesus gets up from the meal. We all know this. Took off his outer clothing. That really struck me. He was stripping down to his underpants so that his outer clothing wouldn't get dirt, dirty when he was doing this messy work. He wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. And then Jesus explains his actions. And this is where we see that Jesus considered, considers himself as our Lord and our Master, and he considers us as his servants. John 13, verse 13, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. In other words, I am your Lord. I am your teacher. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think it's clear, isn't it, folks? Jesus is our Lord. He's a servant Lord, and we are his servants. So, two reasons. Jesus came to serve, and we are, he is our master, and we are his servants. And then the third reason why we should value service, and this is a big one for me, is that God honors his servants. Just before the foot washing, Jesus predicts his death. And let's read what he said. He said that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now you can see that this passage that we've just read is just pregnant with truth and meaning. And what he's saying here is, unless we're prepared to sacrifice ourselves in the same way that Jesus did, then we're not going to be anything in the kingdom of God. And when we do that, if we let go of our lives, if we're prepared to go 
um, and sacrifice ourselves just as Jesus did, then God will honor us. But notice something. Jesus says, my father will honor the one who serves me. Now he starts talking about the service that he's going to have to offer God. My heart's troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He knows it's going to be terrible. But then he says, no, no. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. So he's just been talking about how God will honor those who serve him. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And I believe, folks, the way that God honors us in this life um, when we serve him is by glorifying himself through our service. Just think about it. Think about those people that we honor the most in the kingdom of God. Those people we respect the most, the people we love the most. I'm thinking of guys like um, Mother Teresa. I'm thinking of Angus Buchan. We, we honor and love and respect those people because when they serve, the glory of God is seen through them. We see an accurate picture of what God is like through them. Their service points us to God. And that in itself is an honoring thing. I don't know about you, but I just want my service to point to God. And if that were the case, if I could say, Father, glorify your name through what I'm doing, then I would feel most honored by God. So, those three reasons why we value service. Jesus came to serve, we are his servants, and God honors his servants by glorifying himself through what his servants do. Let's have a look now at three characteristics of service. First characteristic of service. What does it look like? Humility. Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian church and he wants them to be characterized by humility. And so this is what he starts to talk about. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Then he says, rather in humility. So if we want to know what humility looks like, humility is the opposite of selfish ambition and vain conceit. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is when I do things to advance myself, to advance my own interests and rights at the expense of other people. That's what selfish ambition is. Vain conceit is when we consider ourselves to be more important than we actually are. If Jesus was prepared to wash his disciples' feet, then none of us are too important to do anything. Vain conceit. It's not an option for us as Christians. Rather, in contrast, in humility, now this is what humility looks like, and this needs to be infused in our service. We need to value others above ourselves. What does it mean to value somebody else more than you value yourself? Well, he explains it right there. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Then he goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset at Christ. And he goes on to talk about how Christ served through sacrificially giving up his life. So there it is, folks. As we're serving... We're doing it in humility. We're not considering anything below us. And we're doing it to look out for the interests of others. I'm not sure about you, but I've often said that my default setting is look out for the interests of Ian first. Can you relate to that? 
I'm sure you can. <laughs> it's, it's part of our condition. But as children of God, as a brother of Christ, we need to carry that family likeness, which is that Christ didn't look first to his interest. He looked, first of all, to the interests of others. Imagine if Jesus had held on to his rights, held on to them, because he was God. He had the rights of God, the creator of the universe. If he'd held on to those rights, then where would we be today? We, we would all be dead, because Jesus put our need for salvation first. And he came and died for us. Second point is that our service needs to be um, characterized by sacrifice. Jesus became the first. We read about it just now because he was prepared to put himself from the front of the line to the back of the line. He was awarded the highest honor because he earned the greatest glory for God. So let's continue with Philippians and have a look at it. Paul writes, Have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he was at the front of the line. He was at the top of the pile, equal to God. But he didn't use that to his own advantage. Instead, he did that. Can you see his progression from the top of the line to the, to the end of the line, to the back of the line? First of all, he was God, and then he became a human being, and then he became a slave, right at the bottom of the line. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But folks, it didn't end there. Because when James and John said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory, Jesus replied, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. If we want to be something of significance in the kingdom of God, then we need to be, be prepared to be like he who is the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus. We need to be a servant. And look at how God honored him. God had exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here you see the link to the glory of God again, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was most honored because God was glorified in him. So folks, whoever wants to become great needs to become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Service always requires sacrifice. It always requires something to die. And that's why the passages on service that we've looked at today, the request of James and John and the foot washing, began with Jesus predicting his death. Jesus' death was the ultimate act of service. And every act of service that you and I participate in will require us to put something else to death. And usually it's our own rights and our own self-interest. That's why Jesus said to James and John, don't you know what you're asking? Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism 
I baptized with. You know, that expression, to drink the cup, it was a Jewish expression that meant to share somebody's fate. So he's saying, we, are you prepared to share my fate? Are you prepared to take the baptism that I was baptized with? And in this case, it was the, the baptism of his death and resurrection. And Jesus is asking us today, he's asking you, are you prepared to die? And often we think of this in, in, in terms of a very heroic, sudden passing, being um, challenged, will you renounce Christ? No, bang. But you know, it's actually harder than that, folks. It's every day picking up our cross. It's every day saying, today, I'm prepared to die to my own rights and my own self-interest, and whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm prepared to do it for Christ and for others. And then the last thing that we would like to characterize our service is love. I think that perhaps the biggest danger is that we seek to become a serving church, um, but we do it from the wrong motive. Folks, we don't want to serve to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do in this life to earn our salvation. Christ has already earned it. That's why he's first in the kingdom of God. It's because he earned it by dying on the cross to pay the price for our sin. So nothing that we do is going to earn that. Christ's already done it. We serve because we love. And we mustn't serve to look good. That's often why menial behind the task, behind the scenes tasks are done, are, are looked down on because people are not aware that they're happening. And then there's, sometimes we have this sort of false sense of humility where I do it quietly in the background, but I'm very proud before God because I'm doing it quietly in the background and nobody knows. And, uh, and every now and then I sort of drop it in my conversation, you know, that that's what I do. Do it to look good. Sometimes we serve to feel worthy. We do things because we want people to value us. But we mustn't do that either. And then lastly, don't do it to, yeah, I don't know if I should say this, don't do it to impress anyone here at church. Don't do it to impress me. Don't do it to impress Craig. We're not here to impress people. We're here to please God. And let me tell you, we're not here to impress God because how could the God of the universe be impressed by us? <laughs> He'll be hugely pleased by us. I think he loves it. But let's not be out to impress him or anybody. Our service must be motivated by love. And I, I think we covered this really well in, about two weeks ago when we did the value of love. But just to recap very briefly what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, without love we fail to be productive, we fail to be something special in the kingdom of God, and we fail to gain something. It's as simple as that. When we serve people out of a wrong motive, it actually becomes odious. Smelly. It really does. I don't know if you've ever come across it. Somebody who is serving simply to serve their own interests. It's just repulsive, and we mustn't do it. And so I'd like to just close now with one encouragement in service. We've had three reasons to value service, three characteristics of service, one encouragement in service. And this comes from the words of Paul. Put it up for you. He says, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. 
Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, purpose, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. Now here's the important bit. With all the energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. You see, he knew what God had called him to. He knew the, the work of service that God had called him to, and he was prepared to do anything to do that. He was prepared to make tents and support himself in ministry. He was prepared to do anything. And we, in the same way, are called to serve the church. We need to find out what it is that God is calling us to do, to serve the church. Because if I'm not serving the church in the way God has called me to serve, if you aren't, then, as Chloe was saying, somebody's going to end up missing out and lacking. And so, let's do it. But let's not forget that it's with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So it starts with us contending strenuously, and then Christ's power kicks in. While we were worshiping this morning, um, I thought of two things. The first one is that when we were singing that song about God, my rock, God, my rock, God, my rock, I felt that maybe many of us were seeing God as a rock to help us just barely get through life, barely survive. So this idea that there's this huge storm um, flowing around us and God has provided a rock and we're on it and there's waves crashing and we're just on the rock. But you know, I think it's so much more than that. God has put us on the rock of Jesus Christ because he wants us to extend his kingdom. And we might think, gee, I, I don't know how I can do that. I'm feeling weak. That's why God brought the word, I think, through Joe, which is that God's strength is perfected in our weakness. When we do a strength audit of our lives and we say, I'm not in a good position, the storm is raging, I'm standing on the rock, I don't know that I can advance the kingdom of God. That's when God's strength is perfected in us. And that's why Paul said, with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. The second thing that I thought of while we were, uh, well, I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me while we were praising and worshiping, was the passage in the Bible where it says, the kingdom of God is advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. You see, he doesn't just want us to be standing on the rock, barely getting by. He wants us to be forceful men and women, not in our own force and our own strength, but in his. Forceful men and women that are laying hold of the kingdom of God so that it can advance. That's what God wants us to do as a church. And the best way that we can do that is to get out there and serve people in a loving way. It's a, it's a very simple thing. It could be simply um, arriving at church and seeing, seeing a mum trying to get, her, uh, get a baby out of the car and a pram and it's just going across and offering to help. Simple act of service. Could be, that's just an example. Could be anything. We're here to serve. We're here to serve one another. We're here to serve Jesus because Jesus was the consummate servant. Shall we pray? Father, this is a very challenging word for us. I pray that you would work powerfully in us as a church to become people that serve. Whatever the gift is that we've been given. If you have a gift of leadership in the business place, then 
use that gift of leadership to serve the people that you lead. If you have a gift of, of healing, then use that gift to serve the body of Christ, to bring healing. Whatever it is. And I would, I would just like for us as a, as a group, as a congregation, to just commit ourselves corporately to being people who serve one another, uh, people who serve others. And so Father God, um, just pray along with me in your, in, in, quietly in your mind. Father God, I bring myself as a servant. Ultimately, I want to serve you. I pray that your name would be glorified through my service. Father, release your power through my service so that it would be clear that you're the one who's doing it and not, not me. Help me to be aware of the needs of other people. And we commit ourselves, Father God, to serve you and to serve one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.